Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Jeff Markley. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good, Anthony. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for joining us. We were just talking a little bit about our mutual friend, Larry Wardlaw, Got who it. I mentioned I have never heard someone say a bad word about. Is that true in your experience? Um, can I take the fifth? <laughs> no, nobody has a bad word to say about Larry. Well, if we could only all be so lucky, I know that that's not true of me. So we will stray away from that co- that conversation very quickly <laughs> so you don't start saying bad things about me. But thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Well, as you know, Jeff, we talk about your career path, your organization, some of the things you're working on. I want to start with career path. Because you've been in the nonprofit world for a while, but that's not really where your career started. So tell me if you can, when did you first start thinking about what you wanted to do? Where did that take you? And when and why did you pivot away from that? Oh, gosh, that's why you're in charge. Those are good questions. (laughs) Okay, so, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, actually, right right out of high school Same experience for me, yeah. A lot of people know Mm -hmm. I'm going to college to do this, and this is my career, and I'm set, and I'm good. And I, I've i always been that person who kind of took that road less traveled, Yeah. right? Yep. Like my brothers and my mom and dad all went to Ball State. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go to Ball State, okay. right? So I went to IU. Mm-hmm. Um, further away, big school. And I studied, actually, criminal justice really? when I was in college. What led you to that? Um, I actually loved the coursework. Okay. Um, all right. I loved the, um, you know, the— the study of the of the criminal court system mm-hmm. and probation. Yeah. Um, I found it really intriguing. I got to visit the the state penitentiary in Terre Haute. I think it's Terre Haute. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got out, I thought, I really don't like the work that's available, <laughs> well, right? And I think that's something that a lot of young people don't realize is it's a, it's a guess, sometimes an educated guess, sometimes not even an educated guess. And then it's like, oh, I have this degree but what if I don't want to do right. that? Yeah. Well, my very first job out of college, actually, I was I worked in loss prevention. Okay. For a uh, for a major national retail company, which is a really challenging job. Challenging, and it yes. was really negative. Yeah. You're only dealing with people who are in dire circumstances right. or not so great people, or not at least not at their best. Right. And then you're, yeah. you're always looking for that. Yeah. You're never looking for the good in people. Uh, you're always looking yeah. for the people who are suspicious or yeah. acting funny or. Yeah. So that that just didn't last very yeah. long, actually. Yeah. So I, yeah, I did kind of make it an early pivot, and then you decided it wasn't for you. <laughs> and I decided it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so then, actually, I, I I took a job with Park Center. I okay. worked in a in a group home, an adolescent group home for girls. Okay. For about a year and a half. Okay. Um, and that was a great eye opening yeah. job. Mm-hmm. The trauma and the oh yeah. The the experiences that some of those young girls had gone through oh, sure. put them in this position was of no fault of their own, mm-hmm. really, right? Mm-hmm. It's the circumstances they're brought up. Yeah. In. Yeah. And then um that was right around so that was I graduated in eighty six. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of right in the height of the uh, AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was hitting Fort Wayne. Yep. So there was a I had I had been a volunteer with the, what was then the AIDS task force. Mm-hmm. And there was a position that came open with the local health department for an HIV and AIDS, uh, we call the disease intervention mm-hmm. specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, people thought I was crazy for applying because the, the grant was a grant. Mm-hmm. It was for six months only at the okay. time. And it was okay. like $10,000. Wow. Okay. But, uh, 
you know, people talk about kind of having a calling to yeah. do something, and it just seemed like it was the right step for yeah. me. Yeah. So that was originally then your, your entree into that was a city position, a grant funded position. Correct. Okay. So when the six months was up, was the job done? It was not done. It uh-huh. was renewed. Okay. It was renewed. All so right. I stayed. I stayed in that position for six years. Okay. At, well, actually became uh, so I was the first HIV and AIDS program coordinator for the city okay. during that time period. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and where do you go from there? I don't want to rely only on what LinkedIn tells me because sometimes LinkedIn is wrong. So where do you, <laughs> where does where do you go after that position? Well, so interesting. So I love the work. Yeah. But I will have to say at that time, you know, it was super political. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of challenges mm-hmm. from local yep. politicians, yep. the people in power. Yep. Uh, so that became really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And the other component, again, at the time, because we didn't have any resolution except um, guided treatment mm-hmm. to death, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. there was no— Yeah, uh, pain intervention, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. So at one point I thought, you know, I know way too many people in my circle of friends in Fort Wayne who are going to be dead in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a lot to bear. Oh, sure, right? sure, sure. So uh took a totally different— uh approach to life and to career and and uh uh I was in a relationship um with a person who owns a nursery mm-hmm. actually aha uh-huh. so i stepped out and i uh went back to school and just got a um an associates in landscape okay and then so i managed a, a nursery and garden center for about 14 or 15 years okay uh, so and did you work with Laura Stein I did work with Laura Stein. Laura, Laura is actually the next guest on the podcast. So it's all very <laughs> Northeast Nursery-centric episodes coming up. I love up. Laura okay. Stein. And our paths continue. I love. We're still really She's good great. friends. She's great. And our paths cross just like this. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. So sorry. I took no, us down great. a path there. But okay. So a, a complete diversion from what you were doing. Complete diversion. And how long do you do that? So I did that for like 14 or 15 years. Wow. Okay. A long time. All right. A long time. Okay. Um, and the great part about that job was because it was retail, I met so many cool people. Yeah. Right? Fort yeah. Wayne people. Sure. Um, in in a different circumstances, in positive circumstances. Um, still friends and have relationships with a lot of those people now. And did I call it Northeast Nursery? I you meant Newhauser. Yeah, there's Neuhauser. a place in my hometown called Northeast Nursery. So <laughs> my my Peabody, Massachusetts neurons were firing when they should have been firing towards Fort Wayne. Oh, that's all right. Sorry about that. No so worries. you do that from a long time. You get to interact with people. You enjoy it quite a bit. But well, and it's positive, right? Because it's correct. landscaping. Correct. So people are coming to you because— It's discretionary. I want to do this. They want. want it's, it's a beautiful setting. They're beautifying their, their property. Right. Yeah. So, but that's not what you're still doing. So why did you do something different? Well, so I, I needed to segue out of of that yeah. um, position in that career. So yeah. I, I just, you know, I've always done that, again, that road less traveled. I've sure. done the things that people don't think you should do. Yeah. So um, I stepped away from that, actually, with nothing mm-hmm. to go to specifically. Oh, wow. Because at the time, I thought, as long as I'm in the position I'm in, nobody's going to know that I really am available for something different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I took the step to step away, yeah. which led to uh, like a two-and-a-half-year stint at Williams-Sonoma. Okay, so retail as again, the general manager. generally happy people, although in retail sometimes people aren't so happy. But Correct. You can have with Williams-Sonoma, it's probably people with some 
money and they're probably happy about what they're buying for the most part. For the most part. You get <laughs> yeah, some of those. Sometimes people with money get a little challenging. Yeah, too. <laughs> there's one in every. I've I've never borne that burden, so yeah. I don't know that personally, but yes. Right. So, you, so you're Williams and Sonoma for a couple years, two and a half years-ish? Right. Okay. And I was all this time, I was still involved with what was then the AIDS mm-hmm. Task Force, yep. right? So I was still a volunteer. Yeah. Um, I had been one of the founders of what then was the Gay and Lesbian Dinner mm-hmm. Dance, yep. uh, which is now turned into the soiree this year. Yep. Um, and then it just became really clear, I really don't want to be in retail. Yep. I don't want to do the holidays, the every weekend. You're working the, when everyone else is playing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, Greg Manifold, who mm-hmm. had been the, the director at the AIDS Task Force, wonderful friend, wonderful yep. guy, had retired. And they'd approached me about perhaps the position mm-hmm. once, and I declined because I hadn't been at Williams-Sonoma long enough. I didn't feel uh, fair leaving there sure. and wasn't sure. sure. And then after another year or so, the, the person they hired um, also left. And so I kind of revisited mm-hmm. that. And so I have been there now. I'm just starting my 10th year okay. as the director of okay. what is now the Northeast Indiana Positive Resource Connection. Okay. All right. So so this is is where you've been for quite some time. And tell me what your work involves. Tell me about the organization and the work that you do as the executive director. Yeah, I love our work and I love our agency. So we're the oldest HIV and AIDS service organization in the state of Indiana. Really? Yep. Okay. We were founded in 1985. Okay. You know, started as a grassroots organization. Yeah. Um, so we cover 12 counties in Northeast Indiana. Mm-hmm. So we have a nice reach. We basically have two components. So we're doing um, case management for people with HIV or AIDS, mm-hmm. which involves anything and everything that might be a barrier to them getting appropriate and yep. adequate health care. Yeah. Right? Yep. So we're doing we're doing um, food and nutrition. Mm-hmm. We're doing transportation. Yep. Housing mental health counseling, alcohol and drug counseling. Yeah. Um any anything that's gonna well and obviously we're we're getting people linked up with health insurance if they mm-hmm. don't have it and yep. we're getting them connected with physicians, um, labs, all those kind of places that they that they need. Um and our goal, and Anthony if you know this, but I, I know a lot of people don't still, our goal with those people is if you're HB positive you know your status, mm-hmm. and you're linked to care and taking your medication. Mm-hmm. You can very quickly get to what we call an undetectable viral load. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two things happen at that state. If you're undetectable, you will not go on and develop AIDS. Mm-hmm. So you can live a pretty relatively healthy, yep. long life. And then the second factor, we call it treatment as prevention. If you're undetectable, you cannot transmit the virus to anybody else. Okay. So even if you're engaging in activities that mm-hmm. otherwise might transmit yeah. it, you can't. Okay. So the, the individual wins yeah. and the community wins. Okay. Right? All right. Yeah. So then our other side of, of the, our operations are the prevention. Because mm-hmm. ideally we want to prevent somebody sure. from sure. even becoming infected. So we do education. We do um, testing in all 12 counties. So we're, we go to places like alcohol and drug treatment centers, mm-hmm. halfway houses, mm-hmm. correctional facilities, mm-hmm. um, uh, the LGBT community mm-hmm. events mm-hmm. Um, to provide education, and then we do the free HIV testing. Yeah, and you know things have changed, right? So back in the day when I was at the health department, you know, you did a blood draw. It took two weeks to get results. Yeah. If it was positive, you took another blood sample for a confirmatory, mm-hmm. and another two weeks. Jeez. 
Um, so that's an agonizing oh, yeah. two to four week period for people. Yeah. So now, you know, you can you can get results back within minutes. Yeah. So yeah. it's a much better scenario. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about the name change. What precipitated that? Why did the organization decide that it needed to rebrand and and what was your involvement in that? So I had been at the agency maybe a year or two mm-hmm. and I was just looking at our stats. Yeah. And the majority of our clients at that point were HIV positive, mm-hmm. but did not have AIDS. Okay. So the AIDS part of our name was a little bit of a misnomer, yeah. right? And it was also kind of a, you know, a dark cloud hanging out there for anybody that used our services. Sure. That eventually, I'm going to get AIDS. Yeah. Uh, well, and as 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 difficult as a topic as it might be, Indiana's reputation was not great um, when it came to when it came to AIDS based on Ryan White and some of the things that had happened early on. Um, Not that you want to distance the organization from that because it's an important part of your mission, but the, the, the stigma Stigma. changed and some of those things too. So, um, so tell us, tell us more about that name change and some of the other things that you decided needed to have more light shown on them in terms of your mission. Well, right. So we actually, we took, I mean, this was a year process, yeah. right? So we yeah. involved the board, mm-hmm. we involved staff, yep. clients, and community members. Yep. Um, and the other part, task force. I mean, we were 30 years in mm-hmm. or 25 years in. By definition, <laughs> we were no longer a task force, yeah. right? And if you were, you weren't doing a, doing a very right. good job. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. none of it just made sense to maintain sure. that. Sure. And I'll say, we also had, you know, we had clients, you talked about stigma. Mm-hmm. So they would take their case manager's business card, which said AIDS task force, and they would rip the AIDS part off so that if anybody found the business card or saw wow. it, wow, they wouldn't know what it was related to. Wow. Wow. So, um, like I said, we took a year yeah. to figure this out because yeah. we wanted to know what the impact would be on the community, our mm-hmm. clients, everybody, funders. Um and it just made sense that we needed to kind of become a little bit more relevant. Mm-hmm. It also allowed us to expand our purpose and mission a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, we've added hepatitis mm-hmm. to our repertoire of, mm-hmm. of uh, infections that we manage. Mm-hmm. Really wouldn't have fit under our previous yeah. uh, mission and name. Yeah. So is that is that primarily because of a need in the community, an unmet need? Is it? Were there other factors that drove the expansion of the mission? The need. And there's mm-hmm. also there's often um, a co-infection of mm-hmm. HIV and ah, hepatitis. Okay. So yep. it just kind of made sense yep. Um, yep. for that marriage to happen. Sure, sure. And what does the organization look like? You're obviously the person who sits in the executive director chair, but what does the team look like? And you can include in that board and volunteers, but also staff. How, how big is the organization and what do the different folks who are involved, how do they, how do they contribute to the mission? You know, it's interesting because it's one thing I think that people have a misconception about. Because it started as a grassroots organization with no budget, no yeah. paid staff. Um, so, you know, our budget this year is about $1.6 million. Yeah, okay. Uh, we have 20 staff members. Yep. Um, so it is it is sizable. Yeah, for right? sure. For um, sure. Again, when we first started, it was 100% volunteers yeah. doing the things that um, nobody would allow us to do mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. So it's a challenge because we can't use volunteers in the same way with we used to mm-hmm. because of HIPAA, because of confidentiality. Yeah. Yeah. The need has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always struggle a little bit trying to find a way to, to work volunteers in because we want to and we have people who want to volunteer. 
but it's just a different game than it was 30 years ago. Sure, sure, sure. And and you have to put your your stakeholders first, your key stakeholders, those you serve. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, Jeff, what are some of the things that are taking up most of your time and attention? And you can include in this not just what you do at Positive Resource Connection, but also in in volunteer efforts. What are some of the things that are the biggest rocks that you're trying to move forward, if you will, in your professional life? Yeah, well, the, one of the biggest ones on our prevention side is is prep. Mm-hmm. Um, so prep is pre exposure prophylaxis, mm-hmm. and it's another huge tool in the toolbox to prevent um, anybody from becoming infected. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a it's one pill that yeah. somebody can take once a day. Yep, and if they are consistent with that, they will not become HIV positive, mm-hmm. even if they engage. Yeah. In activities with somebody who is HIV yep. positive. Yeah. So we need. Um, we need to move that that program harder and a little faster. I think um, make it more accessible, approachable. We can again with that. We can assist with the cost of that. We can assist with getting the lab work done. Um, it all can be done through our our office and our clinic. That's one of our biggest areas, and kind of combined with that is um, when we look at the disparities of HIV in the Black community. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've worked really hard and are working hard now to, again, make ourselves accessible and approachable. Yeah. I don't really buy into the idea of, um, you know, when we talk about, oh, some communities are just hard to reach. Mm-hmm. Almost like that gives you an out for mm-hmm. the reason yeah. that you're not serving them well. Sure. And well, it's it's pushing the blame onto someone else, blaming the victim, so to speak. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so I think our job is how do we make ourselves more accessible and approachable mm-hmm. and trustworthy, Yeah, right? Yeah. So one of the things I'm really excited about, which is actually our timing is good. It's happening next week. Um, we are having an HIV in the Black Community event. Okay. Um, I've got a, an individual. Um, her name, his name is Surratt King from Chicago. Mm-hmm. works with Gilead Pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. He's a community liaison, okay. not, not a drug rep. Um, he's an African-American man. Mm-hmm. He's coming in. And we have about 20 um, leaders and community members from the African-American community that we're going to meet for dinner. Okay. We're going to have a little kind of HIV in the Black Community 101 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and see what kind of, you know, partnerships or what kind of efforts will come out of that. Okay. So super excited about that. For sure. For sure. Well, in general, you know, you you serve a lot of different um, parts of the community, but what do you? What are some of the things you do to raise awareness, and what are some of the challenges you face? In other words, what are some of your best tools for getting the word out about the work you do, and what are some of the things that prevent you from doing more of it? Well, the prevented, you know, preventing us from doing things. You know, money's always an yeah. issue, right? Yeah, uh, we can get grants, we can get funding for for programs for staff, yeah. but in marketing, yeah. right? That's yeah, always a for challenge. Sure. Although we have gotten some because we've yeah. worked with you and you guys have always done a great job for us. Um, so, you know, we're, we've in the last mm, five years, maybe, we've brought on a community events manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Alex Sauer is great mm-hmm. and she does our social media, mm-hmm. which has been really helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a new website. Mm-hmm. So working those angles, yeah. um, trying to be present. I think the one of my main jobs is is being the networker, mm-hmm. being the relationship builder. Yeah. Um, so attending events, meeting with people, it's important for other leaders to know that we exist, yeah. and other agencies to know that we exist and what we do. Mm-hmm. 
so that as they go through their day yeah. and they're encountering individuals who might be in need of our services, sure, they know who to refer to. Yeah. Um, and it's not a cold call. Yeah. They'll know us and sure. we can we can go from there. So that's been really great. Um how, if at all, and, and you can tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, and you would not be the first person to say that, and be accurate by the, by the way, how at all has the work changed over the past couple of years with the pandemic? You know, we're, we're seeing a lot, you know, more debate about science and prevention and these things that, you know, I'll, I'll go on the record as saying five years ago, I didn't think we're all that controversial, <laughs> but how has that changed your work at all? Has it impacted you or has it been pretty much business as usual for you, maybe with some changes in, in how you get the message out and how you connect with people? A any impact there? Sure. I mean, the impact for definitely during the pandemic was we did almost, mm -hmm. almost no HIV yeah. testing. Yeah. Um, the facilities that we normally go to, mm -hmm. you know, we were all on lockdown. Yeah, sure. So we didn't go there. We didn't have a lot of people coming into our office. Mm -hmm. And I think there was this inherent um, apprehension about going to medical yeah. facilities. Yeah, for sure. So testing dropped way off. Yeah. And then when things kind of slowed or, you know, when the pandemic slowed down a little bit, we anticipated a faster, more, um, a stronger bounce back and people mm. getting tested, mm -hmm. which has not happened. Yeah. It's been slow. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit of people being overwhelmed and satiated with getting tested, prevention, treatment, yeah. all of that has been so prevalent in yeah. the news. Yeah. Just fatigue over, fatigue. The, over the whole topic. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, yeah. and then we, you know, so then we also are on the cutting edge right now of monkeypox. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have been kind of charged with heading up some of that for the local area. Yeah. And, you know, the facts are the facts. So right now, mm -hmm. you know, monkeypox tends to be in populations where it's, you know, men who are having sex with men. Mm -hmm. Not that it's the sexual act that yep. transmits. It's, it's just the intimacy yep. and the close proximity. And it got a foothold in that community first. Apparently. Sure, sure. Um, but then, again, you're talking about vaccinations. Yeah. And it's a two-shot process. Yep. One and then one, another month later. Yeah. Um, so we've had good response, but we've also had some challenges, yeah. I think, with people just being, like you said, fatigued sure. with, with vaccinations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, from, from the, the limited knowledge I have from my small circle, I think everyone is, is just, uh, you know, a little bit more cautious about, you know, healthcare in general um, in, in ways that, that might have long-term negative effects. I, and I think there were some positive effects. I mean, my hope is for your organization, like others, people are more comfortable with things like, uh, you know, telemedicine that might lead to earlier intervention. I think that's a good outcome of all this, but it's definitely a mixed bag for all of us. Well, you know, interesting. So we found during the pandemic when we went remote mm -hmm. and we did a lot of the telehealth, um, the no-show rates by clients and patients dropped precipitously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I say that correctly? Precipitously. That's a big word. <laughs> it sounded to good to me, yeah. On a Tuesday. <laughs> um, yeah, so because it was easy, right? Yeah. For a lot of our clients who have to well, transportation is sometimes an issue. Yeah. And, you know, if, you, if you're not feeling well, it's much more difficult to take yourself somewhere than to just flip on a screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we forget if, if we're used to just driving to an appointment and back, yeah, maybe that's an hour. Yeah. But if you're taking, you know, thank goodness we have public transportation. Yeah. But it could be several hours 
to get oh, from bus sure. to bus for to a sure. place. For sure. And then you have to wait because you got there early, mm-hmm. and then you have your appointment, and then you have to wait. And that's not even factoring in, do I have to you know, miss work? Is that even allowed? How flexible is that? I mean, there was a point, Jeff, where uh, I, I say this a lot, but I think it was just yesterday. I said, how did, how did anybody do this <laughs> before we had as much flexibility? And I'm very fortunate that I don't have some of those barriers. Right. But I was like, how did I live when I actually had to go somewhere every day at a certain time? How did I get anything done? And when you factor in health concerns and other factors, um, it's, a, it's a very different world in some ways, a, a, a better one. Um, and that earlier intervention and that you know, lower instance of people being no-shows, I think, is, is hopefully a big boon to the work you do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and it's taught us, right? We don't have to do, we don't have to do things the way we did them before because yeah. we thought they were prescribed that we had yeah. to do them that way. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. We all learned that. Mm-hmm. We can do things differently and we're not breaking any laws. Yeah. We're not, yeah. you know, being unethical. Well, when it's, when it's your only option, you realize it's not all that bad and right. you know can be as good as or at least only marginally worse than the option that's way more difficult. Right. Um, tell me about your board and don't need to get into too many details, but the makeup of your board. How do you find good board members? How do you keep good board members? And how do they impact the work you do? I ask this question out of personal curiosity because I have been both the the victim of boards <laughs> and a board member. So, so how does that fit into your organization? Yeah, our board's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we typically have a really good board. Yeah, um, I think it's if you want to be on our board, it's it's because you've got a connection, you've got mm-hmm. a, you're passionate or compassionate yep. about it. Yeah. Um, so we have a good mix, mm-hmm. um, like any board yeah. should. Yeah. So you know we have our expertise in finance and in, in mm-hmm. legal issues and marketing. Um, yeah. But we also have just general community members. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, who are representative of of the populations we serve. It's always a challenge. I mean, a lot, you know, the good people are always sought out for sure. multiple sure. boards. Sure. Um, but I think once, you know, once we have people on our board, they don't leave. Yeah. Unless it's because they're moving out of town or there's some other circumstance. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you put the passion piece first because I've been on boards where it's kind of like, we need someone with a financial background. This guy, you know, has that. Let's put him on the board. And he's like, where am I and what does this organization do? Right. Where I've seen board members really thrive is when they're first really invested in the cause one way or another. And it sounds like you've made that a priority. And I'm sure that's a difference maker in terms of retaining board members. I think it is. And it's the one thing that I know we do different than a lot of boards. Um, you know, a lot of boards will have a financial giving requirement yes. of a certain level. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that mm-hmm. um, because we don't want to exclude somebody yep. who has the passion, but maybe doesn't have a financial resource. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the resources people bring are their, it's their passion, it's their time, it's their energy. Yeah. We love it if they can bring money along sure. with it, but it's not a requirement for us. Well, I think it's great that you make that clear up front. I think where that gets problematic is when there are unspoken expectations. When someone isn't told coming in the door, hey, we expect you to give, or they're not giving the relief of, hey, this isn't a requirement. It's nice if you can. There have been times when, you know, when I was younger and served on a board and it was like, well, of course you're supposed to give. And I was like, I just didn't know that. I've never done this before. (laughs) So I think it's great that you make that clear and starting with what's most important in the organization, we have people who care and are going to be here for the right reasons. I think that's great. 
Well, I want to pivot to a few more quick hit questions. The answers don't necessarily need to be quick hit, but the questions will be hopefully. Um, First is about your career. You've done a lot of different things. You've tried things, realized they weren't for you, and then you found something or at least appears you have, Jeff, that is really where your passion lies. What's your best advice for others when it comes to building a successful career and a fulfilling career? Well, you know, it's going to be different, obviously, for different people. I think what's worked for me is I've always been Mm -hmm. relationship-driven for the purpose of the relationship, not Mm -hmm. not as as an opportunity. As a means to an end. Right. Yeah. Um, So... Having having those relationships has been really critical um, in people who have mentored me mm-hmm. along my path, um, people who have connected me mm-hmm. with um, other individuals or other yeah. organizations has been really critical. So I think, you know, I think it's really important, especially if you're going to be in the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. um, know your community. Yeah. Know, know the other social service organizations. Do your research. Don't hesitate. I did it when I started this job or other jobs. I'll call somebody up and say, I did it with, um, um, oh, bless her heart, uh, Community Harvest Food Bank, mm-hmm. Jane. Mm-hmm. And I called Jane. I said, would you have lunch with me? Yeah, yeah. You've been around longer, and I would love to know yeah. what your insights are. Oh, sure. And it was great. Yeah. Uh, and w- the, one of the key things she told me was, you know, one of your main responsibilities as a director of a non-for-profit is to protect your non-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that that is secure in order for yeah. you to provide the services that you're providing. Yeah. Well, especially when you have a team of 20, you know, your role is, it's a lot of things, but it's primarily relationship builder and advocating for the organization and then letting the team do what they do well, but really advocating for them and protecting them Mm -hmm. so that they can do the work that's going to help the organization thrive. And that's all about relationships. I love relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and relationships don't happen always quickly. Correct. Correct. Right. They have to be nurtured. Yeah. You have to allow organic time. I always talk about organic things. For me, they kind of have to happen organically. Well, and I like what you said about not having it as a means to an end. I mean, I, there, there's a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of college students and I talk a lot about relationships because I tell people, and I mean this 100%, that anything good that's ever happened to me in my professional life and in my personal life is because of somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody who pointed someone in my direction or who saw something in me I didn't see in myself, right? So that's to me a no brainer. But when I talk to young people, I say, you got to be patient. You got to be flexible. And it's not always linear. It's not, you do something good for someone on Tuesday and on Wednesday, they're going to pay that back. They may never pay it back, but a lot of, you know, just as you've alluded to, a lot of success is making as many connections, positive connections, if I, if I will, with people and then just kind of hanging around right, and waiting for those dots to connect in the universe. And that's really, you know, I, I think that's part of the secret, if you will. Well, right. And, and even if, even if the dots don't connect career wise, you're still a better yeah, person, right? Because sure. you know more people, you yeah. now know more, um, uh, people's backgrounds, you know, different lives, like yeah. styles and culture. Yeah. So it never, it's never a negative. Well, and, and even when it's, you know, in, in 2022 newsflash listeners, there's a lot of people who aren't going to think like any of us who are going to have very different beliefs and worldviews, but you still want those folks in your network 
so that you can learn from them. And there's times when, you know, there's times when I've left conversations very angry, but said, okay, I understand that perspective better. Right. I think that's critically important today when, you know, social media is a double-edged sword. We can shut off all the voices we don't like, but I think it's important to let some of those in. Um, you know, there, there was a quote I heard the other day, and I'm going to botch it, but it basically said that empathy does not equal agreement, right? You can empathize Correct. with someone. That doesn't mean you agree with them, but the world needs a lot more relationship building, not just with the people who, sorry, I'm going off on a soapbox here. Go ahead. But I really believe in the power of relationships and, you know, people will surprise you sometimes too. It, right. If you let different perspectives in. Well, and right, don't you think part of the key on that is, is like you just said, you don't have to agree, but if you can get to a place where you can try to understand mm-hmm. their thinking or where they're coming from, it it can cause you to think about things differently and to think about them a little differently. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. To, to kind of understand the humanity between be, behind whatever issue it is, to understand, you know, there, there's, there's probably a reason people think what they think, and there's probably at least some things we have in common if we give it enough time. Right. Um, some people will exhaust your patience before <laughs> that time, you know, is there. But certainly I think it's something that, especially in a community – like, you know, I've lived here now, I've lived in Northeast Indiana for more than half my life and this is home now, but it's, it's a conservative community. And, you know, when you're doing work with people who are underserved, I'm sure you run into to challenges that, you know, but you gotta be open to different perspectives because you need the whole community. Right. We can't close that door. Yeah. I can't close that door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that doesn't, then we're done. Yeah, for sure. So you have to keep dialogue going. You have to keep relationship going. Yeah. Even if you're not on the same page all the time. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that got really deep, Jeff. We just we <laughs> didn't went down a path there. I know. And I, I think I took us there. 100%. You were driving. <laughs> okay. I put my seatbelt on. All right. Um, next question has to do with your organization. What's something you think that is underappreciated that deserves to be better known about your organization or a myth or misconception that you want to clear out about? clear up about your organization? Well, again, I think think people might be surprised to know. I mean, we are the only game in town. Mm -hmm. We are the only organization that does what we do in all of Northeast Indiana. Mm -hmm. We don't charge for any of our Mm -hmm. services. Yep. And I am a firm believer that, you know, we talk about, especially recently, ending the HIV and Mm -hmm. hep C epidemic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talk about zero as possible. So zero new infections Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And when we look at it from a global perspective, you know, for that to happen globally, we have to do our part yeah. in our 12 sure. counties in Northeast Indiana yeah. where it can't happen. Yeah. So we're this little cog um, that impacts the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important um, well, for people just to realize that truth. Yeah. Um, and to know that, you know, thank goodness we don't see visibly AIDS like we did 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it still is here. Yeah, right? sure. It, sure. It hasn't gone yeah. away. Um, so that whole idea of prevention and getting tested, you know, if nobody's ever been tested, they should get it tested at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the younger generation, you know, we recently did a, well, we did a monkeypox clinic at the local uh, bar and we also did HIV testing that night. Yep. And we had a number of um, young men who were in 
mid-20s to 30s who had never had an HIV test mm-hmm. done before. Mm-hmm. So that's a concern. Yeah, well, it's the downside of some of the stigma going away is that there's not as much of a sense of urgency, I would think. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we still need to get that word out, that you know, get tested. Mm-hmm. And then if you have any risk activities, let's talk about PrEP, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. that's what's going to keep you safe. Yep. Yep. And we and we want to do this in a very positive, non-judgmental mm-hmm. manner. Yeah, right. For sure, we're about the humanity of all this. We're mm-hmm. not about the the moral issues, you know, the the judgment of anybody's activities. Yeah, yeah. we care about the people for sure. Well, and if if you ever were to stray in that area, then you're going to lose people, and you're not going to have the opportunity to get them the the education and the help they need. Right. Yeah. All right. Next question. This is, I think, the second to last question. So you're almost off the hook. What is a tool, a trick, a tip, a hack, something you use in your work that is helpful to you? Now, I've had people say Google, so that's a fair (laughs) answer. I've had people say pen and paper. What do you use day-to-day that you really rely on that you think deserves a little bit of positive PR, if you will? Okay, so people might chastise me for this, but... Honestly, so I I do a check-in on Facebook a lot. Okay. All right. And here's the reason. Yeah. Um, You can find out a lot about what's going on through Facebook. Yeah. Right? So I can find out about events. Yeah. I can can check up. I don't, like, stalk people, but, you know, you could check on, hey, so what's somebody doing or what's going on there? Yeah. It helps keep me in the know a little bit about what's going on. Yeah. Um, You know, like, I have a... This is a little side, but I have a new financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And it was so wild. The first time I went in to meet him, yeah. he had a picture on his on his television of a place in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God. I said, I have been there. <laughs> Not even thinking yeah. anything, right? I'm like, that is so weird that you have that up there. Uh-huh. And then we're talking a little bit more and he brings something else up. And I'm like, how did you? And he's like, oh no, I I checked your yeah. Facebook file. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he knew all this stuff. Yeah. Which Helps make relationships. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, and, and I'll go on the record as being of two minds with Facebook. You know, I, I left Facebook personally. Uh, I've left it twice, once for four years and now the past couple of years. But the reason I came back to it the last time was I was missing stuff. There mm-hmm. was stuff I was like, oh, I really wish I had known about it, whether it was an event or something that happened in someone's life. Um, and, you know, there's there's now enough social media that, there's other ways to to get there with people. Um, but it is, I think sometimes we forget, it can be a great tool if you use it well for understanding people, um, for connecting the dots, for, um, you know, really building relationships and for doing a little bit of sneaky productive stalking sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes, it can be very helpful. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Actually, the last guest I just spoke with mentioned Facebook groups and yeah. connecting with people as a peer, not as an expert, but as right. a peer within those groups is really helpful. It changes changes the game. Right. So I don't think you're alone in in that one at all, <laughs> even though it sometimes seems like Facebook doesn't have a lot of fans these days. Right. Yeah. Well, I try to stay away from that. I mean, I used to, I used to engage more in some of the controversial topics, mm-hmm. and that's not what it's for, and that just gets frustrating. So yeah. I just stepped away from those things, and you know, I post pictures of my dog. And yeah, some of it for me was was the realization that I didn't have the discipline to shut up, <laughs> and 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 the world doesn't really need my opinion. I mean, part of it was me saying 
the time that I'm spending here screaming at the walls, I probably should reinvest that in the people I could really influence, which is if on a good day is maybe like nine people. <laughs> Focus on them. Don't try right. to change everyone's mind. And if nothing else, it has brought my blood pressure down uh, a yep. couple, couple points. See? Yeah. Helpful. Yeah. Well, Jeff, this has been really great. I really appreciate your willingness to talk with us and the great work your organization does. If people want to learn more about your organization, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, the best place would be our new website that mm-hmm. Azure Agency produced for us. Uh-huh. Was, uh, I was a sneaky yes. little, I wasn't even know it was self-promotion, <laughs> yeah, but it was, yes. It was. PositiveResourceConnection.org. Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Anthony. This was really fun. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Azure Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.